What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Laura Roeder. This is my real real advice if you want to find a technical co-founder is if you are a business person, if you're a marketing person, you have a lot to offer, which I I didn't realize until I got into this world. You know, I think it's like grass is always greener. Whatever skill set someone else has, you think that that's like the hard to achieve one or the valuable one. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all, so I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. So uh, tell us about Meet Edgar. Yeah, so Meet Edgar is a social media scheduling and repurposing tool. Uh, What's different about Edgar is that we store a curated library of your content in categories and send it out over and over again. So if you have a bunch of podcasts or blog posts that you've created over the years, you're not sending traffic to them via social because you don't really have any way to do that easily. That's exactly what Edgar does for you. And and other scheduling softwares, um, th- this difference here. Why don't why do you think that other people haven't caught on? Like why why is this? Why were you the first one to think this up? You know, I was really surprised that I was the first one to think this up. To be honest, because it's it's it seemed to me like a pretty obvious idea and. Uh, I'm not a programmer myself, so I had actually assumed that it was just not possible. You know, I thought like, well, it's so many things, especially like storing a library of your content. We were the first ones to do that. Some tools are starting to catch on to that. That just seems so obvious to me. I thought, why aren't other tools doing it? Um, But the whole concept of repeating your content, it's just a little bit of a different paradigm for social. I think the way that a lot of people think of social media it's very one-off, you know, they write an update when they have time, they send it out. Um, but if you're doing serious social media marketing for a business, you really have to start to think of social more as a 
really deliberate body of work, just like your blog posts or, or any other content that you put out. And so I think we were kind of the first tool to really look at social from that angle of this is really a marketing channel for a business, not just a way to make it easier to send out updates one at a time. And now you were telling me before we started the episode, you were talking about how really this grew out of, of the online course that your Udemy course, right? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a Udemy course at the time. We just have it there now for um, distribution because it's a free course now. Uh, so yeah, it's called Social Brilliant. So before I started Meet Edgar, I was running LKR Social Media, which was a, a productized training business, teaching small businesses about social media marketing. And I had come up with this methodology to use for my own social where I created this giant spreadsheet um, with all my social updates stored in categories. Because another real challenge that I had with the tools before Meet Edgar came along is it was really hard to get that good uh, mix of the right types of updates in a tool because the tools didn't uh, view the different types of updates differently, which, which we do. And Edgar, you store all your updates according to, are they you know, a helpful tip? Are they a post from your blog? Are they a post from someone else's blog? Is it an image? Whatever. Uh, so I had all these categories and then I would use the spreadsheet to cycle through the categories. Like, okay, I, today I want to send, you know, one inspirational quote and two updates from my own blog and one update from someone else's blog. And I'll pull stuff from the spreadsheet in that way. But I still had to do all this manual work of, um, copying and pasting from the spreadsheet into the tool. That's what I was teaching people to do. So now that's what Meet Edgar does automatically. Well, I, I was watching your course for a minute and I got to say one of my favorite things that you've got on there is information about my biggest gripe with social media marketing, which when you talk about, hey, take three times as long and put out something awesome instead of putting yeah. out, you know, checking the box three times this week of like, oh, I did my job. I got three posts out. Um, feel like we're like, we're drowning in fluff. Uh, but yet, like for me, like a guy like Neil Patel with his blog, I know when his stuff comes out, like I will make it a priority to go find oh it God. and read the whole thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something really cool that we've seen with our customers and Edgar is it allows you to be a lot more deliberate about your social content because you can go back and improve it. You know, that's why it's a different idea from just saying, Oh, let me like, Oh, I have to say something on Twitter today. Let me just think of whatever you can actually go through and, you know, add a better call to action, add a better image. Like think of how you can make your posts more effective and, We've also seen it really frees people up to create better content because you can create less uh, blog posts because you know that Edgar, you always have something going out. So the mistake a lot of people make is they only send out their new posts on social media. I mean, sometimes they post about it once when it's new. You know, most people post about it a few times that week and, and then never again. So people get this false feeling, okay, if I want to have something to talk about on social, I better write a new blog post. And it leads to more lower quality blog posts where with Edgar, you're kind of encouraged to say, okay, I'm just going to write a few quality posts, but I can keep them going out with Edgar. So I know that I'll always have something good to send out on social. You know, um, something else that I think is worth bringing up there. Um, I'm, I'm a real uh, fan of the Content Marketing Institute guys blog, uh, podcast, uh, This Old Marketing, PNR, This Old Marketing. And um, I feel like one of the things that they like beat you over the head with on their podcast is this idea that like the social media companies own the algorithm of how this stuff is going to go out. Mm -hmm. So not that many people keep up to date on, on what really is changing in how much of this stuff I'm making is actually going to get seen by my audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that's a little bit magic with yours. I mean, um, instead of countless hours, like going back into Hootsuite or whatever tool somebody might be right. using of going, okay, let's schedule this to go out again. 
you know, like <laughs> even if I was only paying myself 10 bucks an hour, which hopefully all entrepreneurs listening to this are valuing <laughs> their work at more than that, but pay something like 80 bucks to be able to have this do the work for mm-hmm. you continually. It, it feels like a pretty good leverage on buying my time back. Yeah. I mean, we actually often have people who are like, I feel a little bit guilty telling you this, but I don't need my my social media assistant anymore <laughs> now that I got Edgar because we we really do just handle automatically um, so many of the hours of, of kind of manual labor that people are spending scheduling on social. Well, and, and this idea that like, just because you posted it, your audience would see it. I mean, that just feels like such a thing of the past, right? It's just not how social works. Yeah. And a lot of people just kind of need to be Um, They just don't know, you know, they're just not educated on how social works, but it's very easy. You can on Twitter and on Facebook, you can see um, what percentage of your audience saw any given status update and and it's less than 10%. I mean, this is, it's dropping all the time. That's what everyone's so upset about (laughs) on social media is how much it's dropping. Uh, So with that being known, you know, if you know that 5% of your audience is seeing anything you post why would you not then post something again so more people could see it? Why are you still creating new content multiple times a day, every day? It, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it uh, feels a little bit like a hamster wheel sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it is a bit of a hamster wheel. So we're like, let Edgar run around on that wheel for you. <laughs> so you don't have to. <laughs> Robotic hamster. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Well, a- another thing I feel like there's been copious amounts written about this for a long time, but it still hasn't sunk in. So it's worth bringing up again. And that was, um, your, the way your course talked about headlines. Um, can you, I mean, you're deep in this world. I'd, I'd really love to hear any manifesto you've got about the, the reasons to spend time on better headlines. Oh yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't think about how, you know, head headlines and same with a subject line in an email that is that is everything. That is how people decide whether or not to click. And I think sometimes people have this kind of unreasonable belief of like a good article can overcome a bad headline. You know, they're like, well, my headline's not so great. But like, if you read the article, it's really good. But no one knows <laughs> what's in the article um, if you can't get them to click from the headline. Same, same with subject lines. You know, no one knows what's in the email if the subject line wasn't compelling. So uh, at, like at our company, we split test every single subject line that goes out because you can get, you know, if we can get 1% more opening our emails, that is a real uh, boost to the bottom line of our business. So we do for headlines, we do a headline boot camp. So every blog post that we write, the writer has to come up with at least uh, 10 headlines just as a kind of exercise to get, you know, the creative juices flying, make sure they're not just kind of going with the first thing that they think of. So we always write 10 headlines and then, and then choose the best one. You know, it's funny that could sound so needless to people, but it's, you know, you compare it to like the movies, right? If a movie doesn't have the best movie trailer ever, mm-hmm. as long as it's got like Brad Pitt or somebody in it, people are going to talk about the movie anyways. And then when you're going to friends, you know, your friends are going to say something like when you say, ah, I don't know, it didn't look that interesting. They're like, no, I went to it. It's incredible. You got to yeah. go. But with blog posts, like your friends, like <laughs> the general society is not talking about it right. enough to get past that bottleneck. And, right, absolutely. You know, you hear these things that sound so outrageous. Like some people say, take as long on the headline as you took writing the blog post or mm. as it took to film the video. And it just sounds absurd. Like, what could I possibly do for that much time? Right. <laughs> but yet taking the time to A-B test, taking the time to do these things, it it is the greatest leverage point for getting people to find out about the hard work you did. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just again, a simple exercise of just writing 10 headlines. I, you'll always come up 
with a new idea, with a new angle that you hadn't thought of before. Um, and you know, sometimes you might end up choosing the first one as the one you want to go with, but usually during that process, you come up with something better. And the way, when I'm looking at headlines, the way I always think of it in my head is just like, which one would I just like have to click? Like I cannot move on, (laughs) you know, without clicking this article. Yeah. Um, it, it is that magnet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, you, um, you've lived all over LA, London. Wh- why back in Austin these days? Uh, because my parents live here. So I have free babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old are your kids or kid? Uh, I have one, uh, he's about 20 months now. Okay. We've got, uh, 12, 10, eight and five. So we are oh, wow. big fans of any babysitting that can happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, Although the 12 yeah. year old's getting right to that age that we like, we can just go to the movies and leave her at home. It's, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you look at um, the way that people's attitudes and marketing uh, change, you know, social is such an online thing. But when you think about whether it's the time you spent in London or the time you spent in L.A., what do you feel like are any regional differences about approaches to this versus where you're at in Texas now? Oh, man, that's an interesting question. I mean, there's huge differences in how marketing is done in, in the U.K. versus the U.S., um, you know, I think LA versus Austin, not as much. I mean, obviously LA has its own sort of, I don't know, aesthetic and I guess maybe marketing style. Um, but yeah, in, in the UK, uh, you know, marketing and sales is just considered, uh, much more gauche. Uh, it's very easy to come across as very aggressive. Businesses are very scared of marketing, very scared of, uh, sounding too salesy or, you know, it's just so funny when, when they're in the UK and so often people like, try to convince you not to buy what they're selling. You could, like, I remember going into a dry cleaner and she was like, Oh, I don't know. I might, I might mess it up. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to leave it here. So it's just like, Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some differences between the UK and the U S. Interesting. Um, when you think about social, you know, it's, it's often, um, mentioned, like it's mentioned in every conversation, you know, we're dealing a lot with startups and we have a mini series on the show here about the new forms of fundraising for, for startups to be getting capital and people throw out social media in every conversation, but it seems like, it seems like they only go an inch deep and then they go into the next Mm -hmm. one. Like, obviously you just do social and then it works. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. In your mind, who is doing social, right? Who, who's worth looking at, looking at and, and emulating their campaigns or trying to learn from? Yeah, you know, what I always love hearing is when you watch, like you watch the TV show Shark Tank and there'll be someone on and they'll have some product and the sharks are like, okay, but you know, have you actually sold any of them? And they're like, oh yeah, we did 2 million in revenue last year. The sharks are like, what? How did that happen? And the answer is always social media. (laughs) You know, we have an online following, which is so cool. I think it's so easy to take social for granted, but the fact that these, you know, bootstrapped, like in the garage businesses can get this kind of success, um, is, is really incredible. I'm trying to remember there's one, I don't know if you're like, if you watch Shark Tank, there was one where they had these baby moccasins. Do you know about these baby moccasins? Is this freshly picked? Yes. Yeah. We actually had her brother on the show. Okay. Okay. So yeah, like freshly picked is one of these stories where they sell these outrageously expensive baby. They're like $60 baby moccasins, like for (laughs) babies who can't walk yet. Um, and people, but they're adorable and people absolutely love them. Um, they do an amazing job on social. I mean, hello, they make adorable baby moccasins, like put pictures of cute babies. It's not that hard. Um, but yeah, I just, I love, I love stories like that. 
Yeah. It does seem like the ones that stand out, they put something extra into it. You know, I think mm. about that, like a, that Oreo campaign that FCB drafted where every day they did news jacking, where they took something that happened that day and they had their designers involved. Like when mm. the Mars rover happened, they created an image of an Oreo with, with red frosting and tracks going across it, you know, mm-hmm. and the nature of like this extra level of creativity, instead of just dashing off about what you expect mm. day after day after day, they came up with something unexpected and it did like incredible things for something as boring as Oreos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like that you don't have to be that amazing. You just have to be more amazing than the rest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. That's something we've tried to do with our company, having some fun with the name and the brand. We always call Edgar he instead of it. And we've created this whole persona about Edgar. And it's just, you know, it's software. It's it's kind of boring most of the time. So why not try to make it a little more fun and a little more interesting? Sure. So not being a coder, getting into a tech business. Talk about some of the, uh, for, for, for people who might feel like that's intimidating. Can you mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of the war stories and what you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've learned so much. Actually, I was so I've run this business for about not quite two and a half years, and I just um, was speaking at this conference called Business of Software. That's all about the business of software, and it was interesting because this being my first software business, I hear the speakers and I'm like, oh, it's not just it's not just me. It's like this is normal. This is normal stuff um, in software companies like uh, David Cancel was talking about how when you're trying to get developers to build something, he calls it like the drug deal between, you know, maybe the CS team and the dev team, like trying to strike a deal under the table, like maybe someone on the side can build me this feature. Um, so all that was was new to me. Um, and yeah, my biggest advice is don't don't just try to outsource it. You know, the, this is your core product. It's like anything, you know, if you want to start a table business, you can have like beautiful handmade tables or you can find a factory in China that can make tables for you, but they're not going to be that special. You know, they're just going to be like all the others um, or they're going to be low quality depending on where it's made. So same with software. A lot of people will have an idea for software and they just think, oh, I can just outsource it and have it built. Um, I just haven't really seen that work out because this is this is your core product. It, it needs to be. So I think if you're not technical, you really need to have a technical um, co-founder or technical lead. That's a really core part of the company. Yeah. Thinking about that. Um, did you, did you go the co-founder route or did you just bring on staff or what, what did you do? So my situation was a little Laura. Hello. Hey, not sure what happened there. I think internet dropped out on us. Yeah. Um, let's start back with the, my situation was, yeah. Okay. Uh, so my situation was a little unusual and my husband built the software. So if you can't find a technical co-founder, just marry one is, <laughs> uh, is my advice. Um, but so yeah, my husband, Chris is a Ruby on Rails developer. He built the first version of Edgar. Uh, and also, I mean, more than just building it, he was obviously really experienced in software and products. So he also really shaped what, what the product, uh, is and was going to be like. Um, but he wasn't really interested in being in running the business with me. So he built the initial product, built, started to build out the development team. And now he's not as involved in the day to day. He kind of advises the company. You know, um, on my, the consulting business side of what I do, I I've got a number of CEOs who the spouse is like the co (laughs) is like the Mm -hmm. co-founder. Um, 
it it comes with some interesting things that that other types of partnerships don't right you know mm-hmm. i i think for us you know my wife and i we've had uh this is business number 12 and and most of those were total wow. failures right like some of them made a lot of money but most of them were total failures and there's this like i feel like my spouse is like you know part part taskmaster cracking the whip part like therapist for like the ups and downs part uh talk about um talk about having a a spouse as a major role in a startup yeah i mean it's it's definitely interesting my husband and i work really well together because our skill sets are so different uh and this you know this is my real real advice if you want to find a technical co-founder is if you are a business person if you're a marketing person you have a lot to offer which I, I didn't realize until I got into this world. You know, I think it's like grass is always greener. Whatever skill set someone else has, you think that that's like the hard to achieve one or the valuable one. But if you meet any developer, almost all of them have created a piece of software, put it on the internet, and then been shocked when no one buys it. It's a, it's a very common story. You know, they need the marketing side. They need the business side. Um, so that's what I really excel in. My husband really excels in code. He really excels in making products decisions. We've kept our product um, very clean, very lean. We don't build out a ton of features. We stay really focused on, on what we do really well. And that's really thanks to his, um, his vision and his guidance. So we actually, we actually hardly ever fight about the business because we've divided it up really cleanly, <laughs> our, our areas. Notice nice. I said about the business, right? I was like, <laughs> yeah. we never fight about the business. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny. I think, uh, well, I am interested in this. You know, I, I, a lot of times when we have somebody on who, who's got a family, we talk about this work-life balance. I mean, most mm-hmm. of us that choose entrepreneurship have a have a pretty good Energizer bunny on the inside that could kind of work 26 hours a day. Um, do you have any tips for, you know, turning the phone off or disconnecting to have family time or mm-hmm. balancing like, oh, we could make this more money if this family just sacrificed mm-hmm. for the millionth time this month? Mm-hmm. Um, how you How you deal with that or how you keep the balance? Yeah. I mean, so something unusual about my story is I was uh, pregnant when we launched the business. So I went on maternity leave for three months when the business was um, less less than a year old. Uh, and I was fully I was fully off, uh, not not checking in, like totally off for three months. Uh, and during that three month period, we uh, grew our revenue from, I just looked up these numbers for a presentation. It was from about 70,000 to about 110,000 a month, um, which means we crossed the million dollar mark. We crossed the 100K a month mark. And that was all within the first year of launching. So we had tremendous growth while, while I was gone. Uh, so knowing when I launched the business that I was going to have a baby pretty soon, I was very deliberate about crafting the business in a way where it could really grow and thrive without me. Um, in my last business, I had very much been central to it. It was a training business and I was the trainer. I was the face of it. I was the personality. Also, it was structured in such a way that we always had to do a new promotion every month. If we wanted to make money, it was kind of like, what are we going to do this month? What are we going to do next month? So I made some very different decisions with Edgar. And in retrospect, it was just an amazing constraint because it forced me not to build a business where I had to be working a lot for it to grow. Okay. This is such a soapbox for me. I think this is a good place to end episode one. And we're going to spend a lot of time in part two of the episode here talking about this. So uh, tune in for our next episode and, and come learn more about how Laura pulled this off. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 
20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.